hello, hello, and welcome, 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 everyone, to another Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. We have an awesome treat for you today. I know the surprise is already spoiled because today's educator is none other than Austin Vickery, and the topic is Mastering the Basics. Practice techniques for beginning sax players. You see, he already has a saxophone. And you, if you know who Austin Vickery is, he is a master educator and also performer, musician. The list goes on and on. But before we get into that, I have to remind you, if you're joining us live, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. And we love interaction. So if you have any questions, any comments, you want to interact with us, go in there. There's a chat feature. Just type it out and we'll make sure we leave enough time to answer any questions or address any comments. Um, and, you know, this wouldn't be possible without our wonderful sponsor. So please be sure to check out the studio archives or our past video sessions at clearwaterjazz.com's education outreach section. That's brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Stewart Partners and Duke Energy, as well as our Young Lines podcast available wherever you stream. And that's brought to you by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. Just search Young Lines Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. So if you don't know Austin, Austin is a saxophonist. He's a woodwind specialist, composer, arranger. Uh, he's a music educator who resides in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, he's been here many times and given us so many great sessions. So please be sure to go back in the archives and check it out. Uh, he holds a bachelor's of music in saxophone performance from the University of Utah and a master's of music and jazz studies from the University of Cincinnati. Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Um, you've probably seen them on stages all over uh, the Tampa Bay area and beyond, all over the country, actually. Um, and he's still here. He's in, in the school system. He's an educator. Um, he's working with the Mirror Program here at St. Petersburg College and also John Hopkins Middle School. So without any further ado, any further delay on my part, Austin Vigory, the stage is all yours. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. K. Appreciate you having me here this morning and uh, excited to do this little mini masterclass on basics of saxophone playing for beginners. So this is geared towards beginning players. Um, doesn't have to be a uh, young age, although that's a very common thing. Um, this can be for students of all ages and of all levels of uh, learning to begin to play, uh, beginning to play the saxophone. Um, so basics are, are really, really important and they're fundamental to developing um, your saxophone playing. So I'm going to go over some very basic things and some things that I think are important in terms of developing um, your technique, your embouchure, all of those things. Um, we'll just go over some of the basic stuff today. And if you hear click, click padding, that's or weird noises. That's my dog, Leroy. He's his nails click on the hardwood floor. <laughs> so hopefully he will be chill and not be barking during this. <laughs> all right. So 
I have, as I usually do, have a PowerPoint presentation. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And we'll pull up the PowerPoint. There it is. Um, yeah. All right, and I have to, whoops, let's go back. I have to get rid of the uh, picture because I keep, I always look at my picture instead of what I'm trying to talk about. All right, there, we'll hide that. All right, let's start again. All right, great. Mastering the basics, practice techniques for beginning saxophone players created for Clearwater Jazz Holiday Jazz Master Virtual Sessions by me. All right, basics. What are the basics? Um, I like to sum up the basics in these four points. Proper embouchure, we'll talk about what that is. It's uh, the shape of your mouth, how you hold and play it, or how you, how you form it to make a sound. Good quality sound. What does it take to have a good sound? Uh, clean articulation, uh, use of tonguing. It's like when we use our tongue to speak and we articulate the things so we're speaking clearly. We can translate that straight into instrument playing by use of the tongue. And proper technique, and I consider technique to be use of fingers and mobility, um, how you're able to move through the notes uh, with your hands because it's two-handed instrument. All right, those are the basics. We're gonna dive um, a little deep into each of those points and then I've got a little miscellaneous uh, category at the end just to kind of uh, wrap things up. All right, let's move with the first thing is proper embouchure. What is embouchure? Embouchure is a big confusing French word, but it really just translates to mouth position or shape. Sometimes we like to refer to it as shape of your mouth needed to produce the sound. So the real basic step, and, and some of you probably already know this if you're already beginning saxophone, but I'm just gonna go over it. Um, you wanna make sure, and I'll, I've got my saxophone here. I'll just take the neck off. And uh, you wanna make sure that when you start to form your embouchure, your top teeth are going to be placed on top of the mouthpiece. A okay? top teeth need to be on the mouthpiece at all times at all times, okay? Um, there are alternative embouchures where the top teeth do not touch the uh, uh, top of the mouthpiece. Um, I don't like that style of, of embouchure. Uh, it's a double, we call it a double lip embouchure because the top lip goes underneath as a cushion. Um, I don't prefer that way. I find it for me, uh, it feels unstable and I don't have as much control. It's less common than your typical uh, top teeth on the mouthpiece. So I don't recommend starting with that embouchure. Um, if there's not proper direction given a lot of students, beginning students, whether they're young or older or adult, um, will sometimes think that they need to do that if they don't have a proper guide. So um, I'm here to say, please start with the top teeth teeth on the mouthpiece. It's very important to help stabilize your embouchure. Okay. And then after that, if, if you decide, if you're getting more advanced and you're practicing a lot, 
and you want to try that, you can, but I don't recommend it. Um, it's, it's, I, I just find it awkward and uh, not as stable. So there you go. Bottom teeth, and this is always a must. Your bottom teeth must be covered by your bottom lip. Now, how much lip? That's going to depend on uh, the physicality of the person playing. Uh, some of us have larger, thicker lips. I've got a pretty good uh, size lip. My bottom lip, my lips are a little bit, they're kind of medium. Uh, there's definitely some substance there. Um, but there's other folks that have thinner lips, more thin, thin lips. Um, as a general rule, I like to start with about half of your bottom lip over top. Tuck, them, tuck it over like that. And the best way to do that is you look at the next point, corners of the mouth drawn back. If you draw the corners of your mouth back, almost like you're smiling, E, or saying the, the, letter, the, the, the syllable E, your bottom lip will naturally kind of go over your bottom teeth. I like to start with about half-ish and then adjust from there, but depending on the student's needs, if I'm teaching them. Um, this is gonna be something that a student needs to practice consistently a lot to get comfortable and learn what we call muscle memory. Um, so it's gonna take some time. It's not gonna be perfect right off the bat. Um, but you want to stay consistent in trying to get that bottom lip over your uh, bottom teeth. Because if you don't, if I have two, if I have teeth on the top of the mouthpiece and on the reed, then it has a horrible sound. It squeaks. We don't want that. That's not what we want. Um, so no. Uh, when I teach young kids this, I have them do it once just for fun because young kids love to make weird noises. So um, just to tell them what, how, okay, no, that's not the way we're supposed to do it. Um, they may keep doing it a little bit, but eventually that's gonna stop. Um, again, so top teeth on the mouthpiece, bottom teeth covered by the bottom lip, approximately half to start, you can bury that later. Um, corners of the mouth drawn back to help form the proper embouchure as in syllable E, I didn't put that on the thing, but it's pretty easy to draw the corners of your mouth back, E like that. And then your lips, here I'll, I'll do the top teeth, and then bottom lip, corners back, and we're gonna place that bottom lip right on the reed, right? And you wanna go about, not necessarily half of the mouthpiece in. I think I forgot to put that in. How much mouthpiece do you put in your mouth? Um, I would start with about a third of the, pe of the mouthpiece. Okay, right about there. That might vary depending on, on sound. And uh, then after you've got the mouthpiece in your mouth, top teeth on, bottom lip covered, corners drawn back, then we're going to wrap the rest of our uh, lips around the mouthpiece as if we were saying ew, like ew, hmm. Okay, pretend like your lips are a drawstring that's going to just pull nice and comfy and snug, not too tight, but snug enough to wrap all the way around the mouthpiece. And lastly, um, we want to have a little bit of jaw pressure on the reed, meaning we want to 
have just a little bit of bite, but not too much. You don't want to bite so much that you're going to hurt your lip or cause it to bleed. Or if you bite too hard, you can close off the reed on the mouthpiece. The reed needs to uh, be able to vibrate because we're going to blow through the instrument. So you don't want to have too much jaw pressure on the reed. There has to be a fine balance. Okay. And this, again, this is going to come over time. Um, I highly recommend uh, having an instructor of some sort, whether it's a, a you know, beginning students in middle school um, or even an adult student uh, having a private instructor or getting instruction online. And I'm going to caution instruction online uh, towards the end of this. So we'll, we'll talk about instruction a little later, but it's really important to have someone be able to check and make sure you're doing the things that you need to do that are that are proper proper technique for having a good embouchure. There's ways you can check as well. All right, let's keep going. So how do we develop our embouchure? Well, first thing is gonna be daily consistent practice. Um, if you don't practice daily on your embouchure, uh, it's never going to develop properly. Um, it, or it may take more time for that to develop proper, properly. That's why I like to say consistent. We can go a day or two without practicing uh, when you're first beginning. But when you are first beginning, it's so, 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 so important to have that consistency in your practicing. Um, to revisit that embouchure and the instrument day after day after day. You don't have to have an hour-long session right at, up front. You don't need to be practicing for two hours when you're first starting the instrument. If you want to, that's up to you. But you don't need that. What you need is consistency, daily practice. I'll talk about how long to practice for beginners. Um, there's a pretty good standard that I like to use. But we need to be consistent, and I really feel like it needs to be daily. Um, a warm-up technique that you can do on saxophone. And obviously, there's a lot of things going on where, okay, well, where do I put my hands? All of that stuff. We're going to cover each of that, each of those things, but we start with making some sound. And actually, I did put the neck back on, but I'm going to go ahead and take the mouthpiece off. And I like to do this with uh, my students first, is to, to get them to make a sound on the mouthpiece, um, especially if they're, if they're brand new. I'll teach them how to put the reed on. Uh, it's very, very simple. You just line the reed up with the mouthpiece, slide the ligature on. I don't want to get too much into that, but let's talk about um, playing and getting a sound. So on the mouthpiece, we're going to form our embouchure, right? EU, top teeth, bottom teeth corners, just like this. And I'm just going to blow, blow hard so that the sound comes out. Right? So now we've got a nice, funky, weird sounding, almost like a duck call, but not quite as low. <laughs> so what I like to do with my students um, is, and, and this is what I would recommend, is I will help them. I will keep time um, with them. Uh, use a metronome. I'll be saying that a lot throughout this uh, presentation. Just to get some control and some uh, uh, boundaries on how long to play. So maybe we'll do 
I'll try to snap here. So a nice slow tempo and I'll do long tones on the saxophone or mouthpiece. We're going to do it on the mouthpiece. I'll just do four beats in a row and then take a break. One, two, three, four. Two, three, four. Two, three, four. So on and so forth. Okay. Oh, excuse me. I had something in my mouth there. Not the mouthpiece. <laughs> so long tones. Um, now that wasn't necessarily long, but we'll I'll start with four. We can get up to six, eight. That filling up our embouchure and our technique, or uh, technique of embouchure, our muscle memory. We're training the muscles to do things that they're not used to doing if you're just beginning. So don't be too frustrated if it's a little bit of a struggle at first. It can be, but just keep trying. Push hard. Think about the basics we talked about with forming an embouchure um, and adjust a little bit. You might have to adjust your lip. You might have to open your jaw a little bit more to allow more air to flow through and make a sound. Uh, you might have to tighten up. If the sound sounds really weak and low in pitch like this, okay, I'm not tightened up enough. That's what's causing that sound. Or if you're too tight, it's gonna close off or sound really high and screechy. Okay, that's where I'm either biting too hard or I'm using too hard, I'm too tense in my muscles where the sound, you can actually close off the reed. So there has to be a balance between that. Um, it's very, very, very important. Oh, well, hang on. Let's go back and do, do an example of a long tone on saxophone. So uh, we did the mouthpiece. Sometimes I like to go to the neck. Some, some kids or students are very sensitive to the higher pitch stuff. So if that's a problem, have them put it on the neck, just like this. We can put it on the neck and do the same thing. One, two, three. Four. Two, three, four. Two, three, four. So we get the idea there. It's very important to maintain proper embouchure from the get-go, from the start. Um, the way that you can do that is, I, I did say, have a private instructor or a music teacher help you, or we talked about the internet instruction. I'll go get back to that. Um, but you can also check, okay? You can check your embouchure in the mirror, and I highly recommend doing this. Look in the mirror when you play, okay? Does your face form properly? We're looking for a flat chin. You can't see it with my uh, facial hair, but uh, a proper embouchure is going to have a fairly flat chin here flat here because you're drawing your bottom lip back and spreading it over your bottom teeth like this. Okay. And then that's going to create kind of this flatness here that we're looking for. Um, with facial hair, it's harder to see, but again, with younger students, usually they won't have that. And uh, you might be able to see uh, if you're one of the younger students, you might be able to see like little dimples in your chin. If you bunch your chin up like this, you can't see it here, but I'm kind of, turning the corners of my mouth down and pushing out 
my bottom lip. We don't want that. We're trying to avoid that. So we want to uh, pull it back, pull it back. All right. You can easily check this in the mirror. You can do this exercise in the mirror with just the neck. Um, if you don't have a larger mirror, you can go into like a bathroom or someplace or have a, a hand mirror or something like that, or even a, even a makeup mirror you could use as well. All right, those are, those are my uh, tips for developing embouchure. Let's talk about sound. You wanna have a good quality sound, okay? Some factors in sound are lots and lots of air through the instrument. You wanna put a lot of air through that instrument, okay? Push it through using your tummy muscles to your diaphragmatic muscle here to push through, all right? Um, good mouthpiece read setup. Now for beginning students, um, I recommend sticking to a Yamaha 4C, which usually comes with an instrument. Um, another good beginning mouthpiece is uh, by Height, David Height. I like those, they're relatively cheap as well. Um, or another no brand or no name brand stock mouthpiece that might come with the instrument if you're renting or if you bought it. Um, there are advanced mouthpieces out there, but these three, to me, even though I'm only describing two specifically, um, are really good for starters, just for beginners. Um, other mouthpieces that are more advanced are going to have a better quality of sound. The beginning ones aren't going to have as good of a sound, but it's going to be easier for the student to uh, get a sound out of just to start. Okay, It's also a cheaper alternative if a student decides to uh, switch instruments or uh, not play saxophone or get bored and say, no, I, I, don't, I don't wanna do this anymore. That way you're not out so much money if you invested in uh, a more expensive mouthpiece. So sticking with the beginning mouthpiece at first is great. Um, the type of reed, you wanna start with a soft to a medium soft reed. Uh, the reeds are, can be, thicker or thinner based on their size. Um, the, uh, my read that I usually play on for my alto saxophone is a three. I don't go higher than a three. Um, and a three, the strength of reads goes from one to five. I think there's a, a strength five. That's really, really hard and thick. And I do not recommend ever using that. <laughs> But hey, some folks do, as you, as you learn and develop as a player, um, you find out more things and you try new things and you check it out and find what works for you to get a good sound and it's comfortable to play. Uh, so, but again, to start out, students, I teach middle school. So I'm teaching beginning students a lot. And I always start with a two and a half. Sometimes I might even start with a two, depending on the student. But two, two and a half um, on a scale of soft to hard, one being the softest, five being the hardest, uh, two, two and a half. Uh, some read strengths come in just that literal language, soft, medium soft, medium hard, or medium, medium hard. Um, again, soft to medium soft, okay? Um, some good brands you can start with that are, that are fairly cheap and easily accessible, uh, Rico, uh, Van Doren, Dodario, uh, th these are these are brands that are uh, that have been trusted throughout the years. 
Um, sometimes you're going to get good reads. Sometimes you're going to get bad. But at first, when you're first starting, it's not. Uh, we don't need to be too concerned about the brand of read we're using. Um, we just want to make sure that the read has a has a good uh, a proper strength that's not too hard. Um, and then as you develop, as your embouchure develops, um, you might want to, and you, you probably will move to a slightly harder strength read. I started on twos and two and a halves, and then I moved to three, and now I play I play threes consistently um, on my on my sat on my alto, and I've been playing for quite a while. <laughs> oh, dare I say, thirty something years? Oh. So get me started. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Don't be too concerned about the uh, reed uh, brand at this point. But these three brands of reeds I find to be uh, the most consistent and fairly affordable. Shape of the oral cavity. This is inside your mouth or the position of the tongue. That's going to have a effect on the quality of sound that you're getting. I'm going to put my reed on. Again, so when we blow into the instrument, we want to make sure that our tongue is out of the way of the airflow, okay? And when we shape the inside of our oral cavity, we can get different types of sound or timbre, color of sound. Um, if I have a syllable of ah, which is what I typically teach, if you say the syllable ah, not like ah, but ah, just like ah, ah, like you're opening your mouth for the doctor, ah, but you don't stick your tongue out. And I just blow with that sound or with that syllable. The reed was not wet. That's why it's sweet. All right, ah. That's a pretty good sound, right? Now, if I say a syllable A, and I've got it spelled E-H-H -H there, but we're talking about a long A, right? A, not the short A, uh, or ah, uh, A. It might be hard to tell the difference coming through the uh, computer and the, the, the speakers, but in person, there's a slight difference in sound, okay? I'll do it one more time. We'll do ah and then a and see if you can tell. I might be able to tell on my end. You might not be able to, but let's try it. Ah. A. Okay, I heard a little bit of a difference where the second one is just a little bit more pinched sounding. E is going to sound a lot more pinched. Um, e is another syllable that we can use. It's going to bring the tongue higher up in the mouth and give the airstream uh, uh, a little bit more. Uh, the airstream can, can go through a little bit more quickly, but we can also cut off some of that really rich sound that we, that we want. Um, e, let's try E and see how that works. Okay, so... That sound to me is just a little bit more brighter and, and, and even more pinched than before. And I don't like it. 
Um, but as you develop as a saxophone player, you're going to learn how you can actually use these syllables when you play, especially if you're doing some creative playing like jazz playing and inflections and whatnot, you can vary your tongue position to create different sounds. Um, but again, this is all advanced. We're talking about beginning, getting a good sound. Do you like the sound that you're getting when you play? That's really what you need, right? Does it sound good? If it doesn't sound good, you've got to change something and adjust it, okay? Use the variation on the syllables to get the sound that you want and that it feels comfortable. Um, saxophone brand, a type of saxophone, right? right? Some people think, oh yeah, that's going to make, if I get um, the, the granddaddy most expensive saxophone that everybody plays or everybody played back in the day, I'm talking, of course, about the Selmer Mark VI, if you're familiar with saxophone world. Oh, then I'll sound good. I'll sound good. I'll sound good if I get this horn. I'll sound good if I get this brand. Honestly, the saxophone itself has very little to do with the quality of sound that you're, that you're getting. It can be a little bit of a factor, but it, it's not that big. Um, really, it's about how you develop your embouchure and being able to put the uh, quality of air through the instrument. Um, and then it goes to mouthpiece reed setup. Okay, so priority is pro proper technique with embouchure and air. Second priority is mouthpiece reed combination. Sorry if I'm out of frame. Okay, and then third is going to be, and, and, and not as important, the, the, the type of saxophone or the quality of saxophone that you've, you've got. Now, I'm not saying uh, that you want to have a really not good quality saxophone, but most beginners are going to have a beginning model of saxophone. And they're fairly, fairly good. I like Yamaha as a good beginner saxophone. Um, but if you have questions about that, you can reach out to me or contact your uh, music teacher or another private instructor or talk to another professional um, and see what they think. All right, let's move on. Articulation, clean articulation. What is articulation? Articulation is the use of the tongue with our instrument to produce different types of sounds, long and short sounds, okay? And also to move between notes. It's, uh, we articulate when we speak, right? Our, our tongue has all kinds of shapes and hits all points of our mouth uh, when, we, when we articulate words and, and phrases and whatnot. Now with saxophone playing, it's a little bit simpler. We're gonna use the tip of the tongue to the tip of the reed. That is the most ideal way to start. Um, some folks use a little bit more tongue or they let the reed hit their tongue further back on the top of the tongue. I don't recommend that because if you go super far back, then it becomes clunky and the articulation isn't going to uh, sound as good. Um, it'll come off very, very sluggish and uh, not clean. We want clean. I'm not saying you can use the very, very tip. Some folks like to teach uh, right where the line is. There's like a little line that's hard to see on your tongue. Uh, between your taste buds and the underside of your tongue. I can't do it that way. I actually use right on the, uh, if I stick my tongue out, this is going to be a little weird. Okay. A reed will typically hit for me, not right at the tip, but a little, hook, uh, uh -uh, a little further back. Okay. 
but you don't want to go too far back. But stay on the top side. Don't, don't use the under soft palate of your tongue to uh, articulate um, when, you're, when you're starting beginning. We want, to start, we want to keep it on the taste bud side. It's going to feel weird at first, okay? It's going to be a little strange. Um, and also, when you blow into the saxophone for the first time and you feel that vibration of the reed, it does feel weird, but it's going to go away quickly if you practice consistently. And I mentioned this before, make sure the tongue does not inhibit airflow from the throat. Okay, so we wanna keep the tongue out of the way, not too high in the uh, oral cavity in the back of the throat, but down using syllables like ah and a are gonna help you achieve that, okay? Hard tonguing versus soft tonguing. Um, if you put more pressure behind the tongue as you release it, then uh, you're gonna get a very hard tongue and a hard uh, articulation like this. Okay, and that's gonna be how we produce other articulations like accents and whatnot. But those are, are for later. Again, we're talking about beginning, starting off. We don't wanna use too hard of a tongue, okay? Uh, we don't wanna put too much behind it. And soft tongue, if you're not using your tongue at all or just using your breath, that's a very common mistake um, among younger students, uh, younger beginners where they won't use their tongue at all. And um, that is a problem later on down the line. So if you are a teacher and you're noticing this, you've got to really listen. Um, or if you're a young person trying to uh, learn this, use your tongue, make an effort to use your tongue against the reed like this, okay? Don't just keep starting the sound with your breath like huh, huh, or hey, hey, ha. We don't want to do that because that's not gonna be as efficient as using our tongue to do that. If I keep doing the huh, huh, no tongue articulation, here's what it sounds like. Okay, it doesn't sound great. It sounds beginning, right? But we can avoid this, okay? And that's gonna happen at first, but now try using the tongue. Much better. It sounds a lot better. I think it sounds a lot better. All right. So not too hard, not too soft. If I don't, if I barely use my tongue, I might get a lot of breath, right? So don't be afraid to use the tongue, but don't overuse it. It's a fine balance and it's going to take some time to figure out. Um, again, daily consistent practice and also consulting with um, a private teacher or your school music teacher. All right, moving forward, developing speed of articulation. Keep the tongue light. When I say light, I don't want it to be hard pressed up against the reed all the time, okay? Though I'm talking about the relaxation of the muscle, okay? We don't want to keep it tense or, or tightened up, okay? Keep it light when you articulate. We want to move it just enough to get a nice, clean start to the sound, okay? Practice slowly at first and gradually increase speed. Uh, an exercise I like to do is start on a really simple note and set your metronome with a nice click. And we'll just make and articulate notes right with the click. 
nice and consistent, nice and controlled. Okay, and I'm just going consistent quarter notes. We can structure that in, let's do four quarter notes and a break. Okay, and then more uh, quarter note is, for those of you who are super, super beginning, quarter note is just a note that uh, we usually associate with one beat or the click of the metronome. Okay, so we'll call that note length a quarter note, right? Um, then you can start to increase your speed. Ta, 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 ta. Do it slowly though, gradually, right? Keep raising that metronome up. And you can keep doing this and see how fast you can go. That's a fun thing to do. I like to do that with beginning kids to see, okay, how fast can you go? Because kids like to take things to the extreme. <laughs> and it's fun to watch them sometimes, as long as you can supervise them doing it. If you're a teacher or um, if, you're, if you're a younger student, you want to be careful that you don't, don't get too carried away. That's why with younger students, it is uh, really, really crucial to have, have a good teacher. Um, again, use metronome to help with control and speed. And here's a good exercise that I like to do. Uh, keep a nice slow speed, and I'll do this with my students once I, and we, you don't even have to know the terms for this stuff. Like I say whole notes, half notes, quarter notes, eighth notes. I realize most beginners might not know how to read music, okay? But if you're teaching this, then you can use this method. But again, all it is is taking a longer duration and then halving it each time as you go through the cycle. So here's an example. I'm going to take... This idea, I'm going to do repeat. I'm going to do two whole notes, two longs, and I'm going to take that distance or that duration, and I'm going to cut it in half. I'm going to do two more cycles of that. So that would go to half notes. Then I'm going to take that duration. I'm going to half it again. That's going to be quarter notes. I'm going to do two cycles of that. Okay. Oh, there it is. There's my doggy growling. Hey, chill out. <laughs> it sees people out the window. All right. So... Let's do this. So here's my, I'm going to do two whole notes with a little breath in between. And then I'm going to move to half notes. I'm going to do quarter notes and then eighth notes. And I'll stop. One, two, three. Half notes, two, three. Quarter notes, here we go. Now I'll move to eighth notes. Hey, this is a really good exercise to teach control of the tongue. Okay, and we start really nice and slowly. Um, I, I don't go much further than eighth notes. Uh, most uh, beginning students, uh, that's about their limit. And then as you get better, um, if you're a teacher, you can start to teach the 16th notes or triplets, which is three notes in the space of one, one beat. Um, and uh, if you're an adult student, you can do this on your own. Um, but usually if you're an adult student, you've, you've got an instructor of some sort. Um, 
So uh, I like this exercise because at first it teaches that control. And once you get that control and learning how to time your articulations with the notes, um, you're going to go places very, very quickly. All right, let's keep going. I'm almost finished, I believe, but we've got this articulation, a little bit more of articulation. Uh, so playing the instrument on the saxophone and other instruments, sorry, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> it's, it's still early for me, a little, what, 10 something? It's the summertime, okay? <laughs> but when you're playing saxophone, when you're playing other instruments, we don't always use our tongue. We use our tongue to start the sound all the time, all the time, 100% of the time. But we can move between notes without using the tongue, and that's called slurring. Okay, here's an example. I won't use tongue. I'm going to play three notes. Okay, I'm going to play a G, an A, and a B back to uh, just one right after another. I'm going to use my tongue the first time. Um, and I'm always going to use my tongue on the first note. But then I'm going to slur on the second time. So here's the first time with all notes tongue. One, two, three. I'll do that one more time. Might be hard to really hear that I'm actually using the tongue over the internet connection. Um, but if we slur, here's what it sounds like. Using the tongue on the first note and not on the other two. Two, three, and. And one more time. So that's what slurring is. It's not using the tongue on the other notes, but you always use the tongue to start the sound, okay? So here's, I like a back and forth exercise is a good thing to practice when you're first starting and learning notes. Start with two adjacent notes, notes that are right next to each other, A and B. Also, this assumes you understand a little bit about um, music theory and what notes are. You learn that as you start playing the instrument, whether it's from a book or a teacher. Uh, but we're gonna start with adjacent notes. So I'll go from A to B, and I'll just go back and forth, okay? I can slur it or I can tongue it, but I'm gonna slur. Two, three. And I'll do that to just get used to moving from note to note. And it may seem really, really simple. And um, a lot of the beginning students might, might be like, well, oh, this is easy, this is easy, this is easy. I don't need to do this. Yes, you do. Um, so in between notes, A to B, B to C, adjacent notes. Um, you do need to practice this. This is a really good exercise to get control over your fingers and control between, uh, moving between uh, two notes. Now. You can gradually increase to larger intervals of notes, like thirds or fourths, again, a music term, meaning the distance between notes is like three notes. So instead of going from A to B, I could go from A to C and practice that movement. And that's gonna be like this. We'll go back and forth. Mm -hmm. 
So back and forth between two notes, and we can keep doing larger intervals, distance of threes, fours, etc. Um, but again, we're going to stick to just just those, just 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 really simple intervals. You don't have to go larger. Just getting used to playing the notes as you learn new notes. You can go from one note to the next and back. Okay, this is going to help solidify that muscle memory on how that note feels, how it feels to move back and forth. Um, another technique I like to do is to take a group of four adjacent notes and practice uh, slurring and tonguing combinations. Okay, um, I'll just demonstrate briefly. Slur four, S on this chart is means slur, tongue means tongue, use your tongue, or T means tongue. So I can slur the four notes. My four notes I'm gonna use in this exercise are G, A, B, and C. Okay, G, A, B, C, very, very left-hand basic uh, notes. So I can slur four. And then I would probably go back down too. Okay, and just keep repeating that over and over. Then I'm gonna tongue those notes individually, articulate them. Okay, uh, we can add combinations to that. Slur three, tongue one. Kind of hard to hear in there. Tongue one, slur three. Ta, ta. Remember, every slur starts with the tongue. We're slurring it to the note that is coming after the first note we, uh, we start. We can do slur two, tongue two. This is a very common articulation. Okay, we can tongue two, slur two. Right, so these are, these are great exercises. Method books will have them articulated and written out in method books. So if you're using a method book, you will run into this um, automatically. You don't have to just, oh, let me remember that. But you should have a method book. I, I, I have a few that I like to recommend. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right, proper technique. I'm gonna, I know we're, we're running a little short on time and as always, I like to talk. So I'm gonna try to get through this a little bit faster here. Proper technique, hand position. We've been talking about embouchure and notes and all of that stuff, but let's talk about our hand position real quick, okay? Hand position, curvature of the fingers. All right, when, when, when I have my uh, uh, hand up to the saxophone, proper technique and hand technique is gonna have a natural uh, curve to your, to your hand. If you relax your hand, like we just relax your arm, this is a little exercise, you can relax your arm, bring your arm up like this with your elbow and relax your wrist and let your hand fall limp like that. If you can see it, okay, let your hand fall limp, right? And then we're gonna straighten the wrist as if we're gonna go in for a handshake, okay? But straighten the wrist and then place the, place the hand where it needs to be placed, okay? Um, method books and teachers can tell you where to put your fingers. 
thumb goes to the back right here, touch that, you should have a key, your thumb key. You should be able to hopefully um, cover part of it with your thumb all the time, it should be right there. So you don't have to lift your thumb off and put it on the, on the uh, we don't wanna lift our thumb. This is not a movement, we don't wanna do that, okay? Uh, we want to be able to just have our thumb anchored to this little button. Okay, we call it a thumb rest, even though your thumb's not resting. We push it, or we, we put pressure on it, and then we use the tip of our thumb to press that octave key, okay, or thumb key. Uh, the thumb key is going to be located different on different saxophones, so just be aware of that. Mine's got kind of a on the side kind of a thing instead of like right up and down. All saxophones are different. Okay, and then on the front part, your teacher can tell you where to put your fingers, but we're gonna have, again, relaxed, slightly curved, not too curved. We're not gonna curve our hands like this. Okay, just relax. Use the fleshiest part of your fingers, okay? The fattest, fleshiest part and uh, fit it right into the grooves of the pearls on the saxophone. Okay, there it is. And we're gonna use just a little bit of our fingers to, to uh, excuse me, uh, the, the front part of the fingers, we're not moving from here. We're moving from here, these knuckles right here. Okay, that's where we're, and the same goes with the right hand. Right hand is going to be right underneath here. Um, a common issue uh, is having the thumb too far in on your thumb rest. We don't wanna do that. I like to, use the cuticle as the, uh, the middle point under the thumb rest. That's a good place to start for comfortability. And then again, relaxed hands, relaxed wrist, and get the fleshy part of your fingers, a slight curve, and that's where it is right there. All right, um, light switch fingers. I like to say the light switch. When we move our fingers to press down the keys, we don't want to move them slowly, not like uh, like this. It's not a gradual movement. It's got to be quick, like snap, like you're flipping a light switch. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm raising my fingers to emphasize that. Boom, boom, boom. Can you hear the popping of the key? I hope you can. But we want to go, and the same thing goes with releasing them. It's kind of light switch, right? We've got on, off. Right, there it is. So light switch fingers, very mechanical. All right, how can we develop our technique? Slow controlled finger movements at first. When I mean slow, I mean slow between fingers, not slow moving the key down like this. Boom, then move to the next one, like one, two, three. Okay, we did that slowly. We're not going, hmm. we don't wanna do that first. Just slow and controlled, okay? And work with a metronome, super, super key. Work with a metronome. Metronome, electronic device that keeps time for you. There's online metronomes. There's free metronomes on phones. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Metronomes are everywhere. You can find them. Start slowly and gradually increase your speed when you're doing some exercises or playing a piece of music. Um, start slowly. It's super, super important. Constant contact finger exercise. I love this exercise, and this might be for some students after they've been playing a little bit while, uh, a little while, 
um, that are still beginners, but are starting to, I, I can see that they're developing their uh, technique a little bit and uh, they're getting more control. What I like to do is try to practice slowly and keep my fingers constantly attached to the keys, meaning touching all the time. That's a constant contact. Instead of when I lift my finger, instead of lifting it all the way off, I try to keep it right on there. And it's a hard exercise to do. So this might be for an advanced beginner, if you will, right? But keeping the fingers as closely in constant contact with the keys when you play and doing it super, super slow is really, really important. I'll demonstrate very briefly. Okay, so I tried to keep my fingers touching the keys even when I wasn't pressing the key down. That's the important part. It trains you to try to keep your fingers as close to the keys as possible. This is not always completely possible to do if you're playing very fast things or as you get better. You're not always going to keep your fingers touching the keys. Um, I know a lot of professional players that can do that and they keep them super close. The closer you keep them to the keys, the better technique you will be able to have and the faster you will actually be able to move through notes. Okay, so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good exercise to do. Understanding that we're probably almost never gonna always have our, hand, our fingers touching the keys constantly, but it's a really good thing to practice to develop that closeness, keeping the fingers close to the keys. Isolation of unfamiliar finger movements. Again, use the back and forth exercise. This is where when we get, we run into melodies and uh, exercises where we have to move uh, between notes of larger distances. Um, so, if, or if I'm learning a new note and it's giving me some problems um, and I can go back and forth between a note I know and that note that is unfamiliar, that's a good exercise to, to use. I love the back and forth exercise. All right, learning scales is also a good way to develop your technique and your fingers. Um, scales and arpeggios, uh, that comes with music instruction. I won't explain all of that right now, but scales are just uh, a group of notes lined in a succession up and down uh, that create a certain sound, right? And there's usually, our scales contain typically uh, eight notes with the first note and the last note repeating. Um, those are, that's a scale, okay, just loosely, okay? Scale comes from the Italian word uh, scale, which means a ladder or stepwise motion, okay? So it's like climbing a ladder. We're, we're, we're moving notes, adjacent notes up, okay? Higher in pitch and then, down, uh, and then lower in pitch. That's what a scale is. You can also do scales in thirds, meaning you skip one note, okay? So I'll play the first note and then the third note, and then I'll go back and play the second note and skip to the fourth note. You can also call it skips. Then I'll go to the third note that I played, move to the fifth note in the scale, and so on and so forth. This is a really, really great way to practice your scales and to develop technique. It's very basic technique that you, that you use all the time when you're learning melodies and uh, reading music. Large leaps between notes, leaps. Um, that means more than uh, two or three notes between notes. So instead of going from G to B, I could go G to C, which is a larger distance. 
G to D, G to E, and it, it, we, can, we can get those larger gaps. That's a good thing to practice. Stay within one octave though for beginners. Uh, once it gets up to about the, the six notes in between, for beginners, it, it, it's kind of hard to, uh, it, it might be more challenging. So uh, if, that's, if that's a problem, just stick to the, the, the smaller uh, intervals until you're, you're ready to move on to the bigger ones. All of these things that we've been talking about can be found in method books, okay? And along with uh, guidance from teachers. Rubank method is such a great method. I love that. I like to use this for students who are, who are fairly serious about playing music um, and uh, really, really are, I can see that they're, they're thirst for knowledge. They can handle it, um, especially for older students, um, not quite so young, uh, maybe young adults, adult students, um, because it, it doesn't have like all the uh, cartoon pictures and, you know, uh, kind of it doesn't have the material that's designed uh, for younger, younger kids, younger students. Accent on Achievement is a band book uh, that we use uh, at John Hopkins for middle school. I like that one. Another one, a good one, uh, Standard of Excellence. There are several beginning band books that you can check out. Essential Elements is another one. Um, you can get these at any music store, buy them online. If you've got questions about what kind of book uh, you might need or want, let me know. You can, you can contact me through Clearwater Jazz Holiday or talk to your local band instructor or uh, professional private, uh, private lesson teacher. And speaking of private lesson teacher, there it is, the last one, private lesson teacher. I think private lesson teacher is super, super important, whether you're beginning, whether you're advanced, whether you're professional. Um, I'll even see if I can get lessons with some of my professional friends. We'll go hang out and they'll teach me things that I never even thought of. Like, oh my gosh, wow, how did you do that? That's so cool. So um, having a teacher or a mentor or even just someone you can learn with um, is super, super, super important. It's gonna help you um, get a handle on things better and more quickly. And uh, hopefully it'll be more fun for you because you'll learn a lot more stuff and uh, you'll progress. Your progression will probably go more quickly as long as you are consistent, okay, consistency. All right, I think that is close to done, but a couple of other things very quickly. Picking a saxophone, not too much time on this. Um, what saxophone do you want to learn? Gotta ask this, ask this question, what's your end goal? What, what saxophone do you like? There's four basic types. There's from high to low, soprano, alto, tenor, baritone. And those are also from small size to large size. I highly recommend starting on this one, the alto, okay? It's a good size for all ages, whether you're 10 years old in middle school or uh, if you're, you know, 40 years old as an adult or 50 years old or whatever. It's such a great size. It's comfortable. It's easier to make beginning sounds. It's just overall, I recommend that saxophone. It's also modestly priced, affordable. Um, if you're just starting and you're not sure you want to keep doing it, um, the alto saxophone is, is a very, very good bet to start with. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Young students should start on alto, in my opinion. This is my opinion. And stay on it for between one and two years first to get some experience on it before they decide, hey, let's, uh, let's switch over. Maybe I want to try something different like a tenor or maybe a baritone middle school age is what I'm talking about with young students. 
10. I find students that are younger than 10 um, tend to not have the focus um, as much as students that are right there um, in middle school age, 10, 11, and even sometimes 10, 11 year olds don't have that much focus, but that's okay. Um, just if you're too young, it's not gonna be as productive, but it depends on the student again. So there are always exceptions. Um, just being aware of uh, how that student responds to the instrument and saying, can they maintain the focus? Can they maintain the practice? Can they maintain um, the embouchure? Can they hold the instrument? Some, some kids are really tiny at 10 or nine years old and they can barely hold the instrument. So maybe wait till they grow up into their bodies a little bit more um, or try a smaller instrument to start. Um, young adult and adult students can start on tenor if desired but I still recommend alto as a starter. Saxophone tenor is a slightly bigger one with a little uh, larger neck, larger bell, larger size. It's a little heavier. Um, again, I, I, I wouldn't recommend middle school students starting on tenor um, if they're starting, starting. Put them on alto for a year, see how they do. If they want to play tenor in a jazz band, move them on tenor later in the year if they're, if they're making progress and see how they handle it. Um, alto sax students can easily transition to baritone. That's another instrument. It's big, really big baritone. Um, I don't have my baritone with me right now, but big honk and low sounds. Some kids really love that. Or kids that are uh, uh, growing into their bodies very quickly and want to try that low instrument. Great. Again, adults, you can start on either of these, uh, tenor or baritone if you want, but I, I really... I highly recommend uh, doing alto sax first. That's going to be an easier transition to baritone if you want to switch to baritone. And then I'm going to save the soprano saxophone for more advanced students. I do not recommend soprano as a beginning instrument. It's highly specialized. It takes much more control of embouchure and development of technique to get a good sound. Um, if you start on soprano as a, as a, as a, as a younger student, it's going to be frustrating. Um, and it's, it's, you're going to run into some, some big challenges. So, uh, probably before you want them. So again, alto is what I recommend adult students. Okay. Soprano, but with caution, in my opinion, um, it, it's, it's a squirrely instrument, <laughs> a lot more squirrely than the other three. All right, let's move on. And here we're at the end here. Miscellaneous stuff. Again, daily consistent practice. Start with 30 minute practice sessions. No more, um, give yourself time to develop. You have to, be, you have to be patient with it. Take a rest or a break if you begin to fatigue in your mouth or your fingers. Stop if you feel pain. There should be no pain when you play, okay? If you're starting to experience pain, you need to consult a teacher, private instructor, or a doctor if the pain is very severe. Um, we're talking about pain in say jaw, Okay, because there could be a, a, a serious underlying issue if you're having pain with your jaw, um, because the jaw can, can um, be mobile a little bit. And uh, I know several players who have TMJ, and that's a, that's a jaw problem. So just be really aware. Um, if you feel pain, stop. Okay, stop. Take a break. If the pain can uh, persist, then you need to consult um, either a teacher or uh, especially a doctor, okay, if it's really, really severe. All right. Um, now, practice can be boring at first. I don't want to practice. Uh, 
okay, well, do you want to learn the instrument? Because <laughs> you're going to have to practice if you want to learn the instrument. So yes, it can be boring because you're learning basic things, okay? But as you learn those basic things, that's going to take you to more interesting things. So we kind of have to go through that boring stage at first, okay? Just have uh, forward thinking about it. Okay, if I do this, I'm going to get better. If I do this, I'm going to get better. I got to stick with it. Okay. Again, that moves us to the next little line there. Patience and persistence. You've got to keep going. Okay. Attention and awareness. Be aware of what you're doing. Okay. Listen, Is, are the sounds that you're making, are they good? Do you like them? Do you not like them? How can you make them better? Right. Ask yourself these questions. Pay attention to detail and, and be aware. Um, I think this is one of the most important things that musicians need to learn. It, aside from all the technique and uh, whatnot we've talked about today, pay attention and be aware. Have attention and awareness in what you're doing. Um, that's going to take you so far. Um, have, have a willingness to fail where ah, you're frustrated. You keep messing up. You keep screwing up. Don't be upset with yourself. It's easy to get that way. But I think of Dory. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, 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 okay? Just keep going, okay? Just keep going. Uh, if you get super, super, super frustrated, again, reach out to your teacher or uh, instructor, right? Um, but just keep going, okay? What's your goal? What do you want to do with the saxophone? Is it just for school? Is it something required of you? Is it a hobby? Are you an adult that just wants to pick up the hobby? Or do you really want to go far with it? Do you want to be a professional performer like what I do? Um, you know, do you want to be a recording artist? What do you want to do? Have a goal. You know, and even if it's just for fun, you, can, you, can, you are the only one that limits yourself with the saxophone. You can take it as far or not as far as you want, but it's up to you, okay? All right. Other things, uh, learning to read music is a part of learning the instrument. Some adult students... Uh, don't like to learn to read music or they're scared of reading music and that's okay. There are ways to do these things without reading music, but reading music is, is really, I feel like that, that just kind of comes hand in hand with learning an instrument. Um, that's just my opinion, but uh, I'm happy to teach folks who, who don't want to learn to read, but when you learn to read music, your world just opens up. Okay. With the possibilities of what you can play. So I highly recommend learning to read music. Find easy and fun beginning repertoire, okay, or pieces to practice. For young students, I like to find like easy pop or Disney movie themes. There's books out there all over the place that you can get. Super simple, lots of fun, um, fun for kids. Um, if you're an adult, we can start to learn uh, songs that you're familiar with, with on the radio. If, you're, if I'm your teacher, I'll teach you, I'll teach you what you want to play. We'll start there, okay, and I'll, I'll make it. I'll hopefully try to make it as simple as possible so that you can have fun and learn stuff before we move to more advanced things. Okay, but maybe even starting with uh, easy melodies, happy birthday is always a fun one to learn. The Star Spangled Banner, we got 4th of July coming up, friends. Okay, Star Spangled Banner. Um, I love it when I have parents or students that, hey, look, I learned how to play the Star Spangled Banner. That was one of the first songs I learned. And you know, my parents loved it when I practiced the Star Spangled Banner. That's just such a fun tune to learn, and it teaches you a lot about music and technique and articulation and all the things we've talked about. Um, 
Here's the internet, use with caution. There are so many sources out. I mean, there's, it's more than I can imagine out there. Uh, when I was learning saxophone, I didn't have access to the internet when I was, when I was uh, learning saxophone at all. I was a young kid, there was no internet for me, <laughs> okay? Um, just be aware of the sources. If you question a source, um, you know, uh, run it by another musician or a teacher, okay? Um, there are certain sources that I will recommend, but there's also sources out there with a lot of uh, information that's not beneficial to you. Um, so you want to be careful of that. You want to vet your uh, internet sources carefully. If it's a music school that's doing stuff online, that's credible, I think. Um, if you're paying a fee, you want to be really, really careful about that. Um, but consult a local musician or a local music teacher um, before going too far on the internet because I've had students that do it on their own, which is great. And I've discovered some really awesome websites and some awesome YouTube channels that folks will learn from. But when I look at them, I see a lot of mistakes and misinformation and misguided um, items that are detrimental to the development of technique and articulation and hand position and whatnot. So you have to be really, really careful with the internet. It's a great thing, but it can also be a dangerous thing. And of course, I'm speaking in terms of learning an instrument that you don't know or learning something that, you, that you're not used to uh, working with, that you, that you don't know yet, okay? All right, I think that's it. So with that, I'm going to say have fun and go practice, okay? Go practice. That's what I always tell my kids or students. All right, that's it for me. Uh, if there's anything else, I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone might have. Uh, let me know. Reach out to me through Clearwater Jazz Holiday, and there you go. That's it. Words from a wise man. Have fun and go practice. And... Just keep swimming. <laughs> I like that. It's it's uh, I, I I think it's it speaks volumes. Just keep swimming. Just keep doing if you if you if you like it enough and you want to do it and you've got that drive, just keep doing it. I'll stop my screen share now. You yeah. know, I, I think that's very important, Austin. I know you'll probably agree that we meet so many people throughout our travels and during a day that say, you know what, I wish I just would have stuck with playing the piano or playing the saxophone. I started, but man, I regret not keeping going. <laughs> so it's uh, never too late. It is. It's never too late. You are exactly right. So never. Austin has just, Mr. Vickery is really, really giving you so many great nuggets today on how to um, produce great sound. I mean, being patient with yourself. I mean, I love every bit of this. You know, I, I'm a trumpet player and I'm also a, a piano player, but I think I'm going to pick up the sax. And <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, you, the cool part about what we're doing here is you can always go back in our archives and you could review everything you heard today. You could pause, play along, you know, use the techniques that uh, 
Austin has given us. And that's the cool part about all our sessions here at Clearwater Jazz Holiday is that we have an archive of master educators that can give you great information like you got today. So what we're asking is that you just please, please, please share because guess what? This is free. Can you believe you just had a private lesson with a master educator, musician, and you paid $0 for it. That means somebody's investing in your education and your future. So please share with other people, whether they're a seasoned musician or a beginner, doesn't matter. I think everybody could have got something uh, from the Austin, from Austin Vickery's great teaching today. So uh, we want to thank you so much, Austin, for, for your research and just sharing with us today. And we also want to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. So maybe if there's a topic we didn't cover, or maybe you say, hey, I like everything that Austin did today and I want to compliment him. You can email us because we would love to hear that. You can email us at info at clearwaterjazz.com. And we just want to hear back from you. So until next time, I've been your host, Michael Cronodal. This has been the great Austin Vickery. And like we always say around here, keep it swinging, everybody. Take care. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.